0: I'd like to start just by asking you to consider a question this morning, and um, I really encourage you I know sometimes as you listen to someone, share something, the, the tendency to be just kind of processed very quickly and not really engage. But here's the question I want you to wrestle with this morning: Am I living in a state of peace, or am I fearful, nervous or stressed? Am I living in a state of peace or am I fearful, nervous, or stressed? Just just rest with that question for a moment. Again, the tendency is to maybe just say, okay, great question, I'll write it in my notes, I'll think about it later, but I really want you to wrestle with it for a moment. Are you living in a state of peace or are you fearful, nervous, or stressed? You may be wondering, where does this question come from? Um, In in one of the disciple-making groups I'm a part of, part of what we do is we look to a sheet of character questions every week. Those character questions are born out of what we see in Scripture, Uh, the, the character that God would want to foster in us and through us as we become more like his son. And this is one of the questions that's on that sheet of what's probably 36 to 50 questions there are other questions like, is there an issue I need to surrender or a sin I need to confess? Am I running the race of life more like a sprinter or a marathoner? Um, there are questions about, um, am I am I praying for, you know, my enemies, or is there a person that I need to settle a conflict with? Again, all things rooted in Scripture, but this is one of the questions that we, we have on our sheet, and we get to pick whatever question that we want, and this is a question that's really personal to me because for the last three months, it's a question I've picked more than a handful of times as I've wrestled with this idea, am I living in a state of peace or am I fearful, nervous, and stressed? And the reason why I think it's important that you engage it as I've had to engage it is because as we engage this question and we answer honestly, it can lead to growth and transformation. Will we live with peace or in fear and nervousness and stress. And so, so to get us thinking more, just start with your definition of peace. I'll give you what I think is a better definition of peace in a few moments, but let's just start with how you define peace. Yeah. For most in our culture, peace is the absence of conflict and the presence of, of calm. Maybe that's how you define peace. Maybe you define peace another way. So for you, what's peace? And would you say that you're living in that state? Are you living in a state of peace right now? probably how you answer that is tied to the the second question are you fearful nervous or stressed are you fearful are you living in a a world under the weight of what ifs and what might be's and 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 what nows isn't fear rooted really in outcomes we don't know what the outcome is going to be uh, we, we, we had the test run, but we haven't gotten the results back yet. We, we, we found a lump, but we're not sure what it is. Or, or, or we've experienced a serious grief or loss, and it's like, okay, what now? What's my life going to look like? What's the future going to be? Or, or maybe we've just had a difficult uh, experience in work with a supervisor or with an employee. Well, what's that relationship gonna be like going forward? Fear is often rooted in outcomes. The, the what nows, the what might be's, the, the what could be's, the what ifs. Are you living underneath the weight of fear? Are you living under the weight of nervousness and stress? And you may be thinking what I thought when I first read this question, what do you mean am I nervous or am I stressed? Like. Are you living in 2022, right? Do you understand that inflation is at record highs for many of us? Do you understand that, um, you know, there's uncertainty in the job market? Do you understand that, that there's a conflict going on in many parts of our world? There's war, there's rumors of war. Like, like what do you mean am I nervous, am I stressed? I'm trying to buy Christmas, and maybe I'm overspending. How am I even going to pay those bills when they come due in January? Like, am I stressed? Am I nervous? Like, final exams are coming up this week. They're coming up next week. Like, like I'm trying to get a girlfriend. A- am I nervous? Am I stressed? What do you mean? Well, are you? Are, are you fearful, nervous, or stressed? Or are you living in a state of peace? Am I living in a state of peace? Or am I fearful, nervous, Or stressed. Now, now let's go back to that question of peace for a moment. What is peace? Because it's really important how we define that. If we define peace simply by the absence of conflict and the presence of calm, I think many of us would fight to discover peace. Because we live in a world where people are broken where sin has had its effect in our lives and the lives of other people, and we have the global effects of sin, and that leads to conflict, personal conflict, conflict in the workplace, conflict in our schools, conflict in our neighborhoods. And so to think about having the absence of conflict, that seems awfully hard to come by. What about the presence of calm? Again, we live in a world that's broken and fractured, so are we gonna have a calm experience? Well, maybe for a few hours, maybe for a few minutes, maybe for a few days if we're lucky, So is peace really all about the absence of conflict and the presence of calm? And that's where I think if we can take the world's definition of peace and we can maybe uh, put it aside, maybe even better, put it in a trash can or maybe even better than that, flush it down the toilet and we can instead take God's definition of peace, uh, we can find something more. And by more, I mean complete and I mean whole and I mean satisfying. Because that's what the biblical idea of peace is. It's a sense of completeness, a sense of wholeness, a sense of, of being integrated, a sense of well-being. The Hebrew word that we see in the Old Testament for peace is the word shalom. Maybe you've heard that before. It's the sense that all is well with me. Not that all is well around me. Not that, that, that there's no conflict. Not that everything is calm. But, but I have this deep-seated sense that I'm Okay. If you were to ask an Israelite if they are living in a state of peace or if they're fearful, nervous, or stressed, they would immediately thought of who their God was, what God had done, what God was doing, what he would do. That their sense of peace was rooted in the promises and the purposes and the person that is the character of God. That's where their peace came from. Because of who God was, because of what God had done, because of what he would do, because of what God had promised, because of what he was promising, because of how those promises would be fulfilled, because of what God was purposing, because of who God was, they could be whole and well and complete no matter what was happening around them whether they were waiting for food to fall from heaven in the wilderness or, or whether they were seeing the Assyrians amassed outside their walls in Samaria or whether the Babylonians were ransacking, cutting off their water supply. They, they, could, they could have this peace that, that, that God was who he said he was, that he was working on their behalf. Even when they couldn't see it, they knew that he was working. That was their peace. So if you were to ask them, are you living in a state of peace, it would have been directly tied to what they understood about who God was and what God had done and what God would do and what God was doing in their lives. I don't know about you, but that seems really appealing to me. That, that seems way better than the absence of conflict and the presence of calm, that, that somehow there is a God who is at work and has been at work and will be at work and that I can be complete, and I can be whole, and I can be full, and I can be at peace. I can have shalom now, no matter what's happening around me. And that's the peace that God wants to bring to each of us. That's the peace that he wants each of us to experience in fact, I shared with you last week as we're looking at how Jesus changes everything. We looked at how Jesus changes despair to hope. And I, I shared with you that one of the names we associate with Jesus at Christmas, we just sing about it. Uh, Emmanuel, God is with us. It kind of is a way to remember the hope that he brings. There's another name we associate with Jesus and we often speak of it at Christmas that reminds us of the shalom, of the wholeness, of the completion that God wants to bring to each of us. And it too comes straight from scripture. We talk about Jesus being the prince of peace. You know where that's found? Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. When Isaiah is prophesying about uh, the coming Messiah and what he'll do for his people, he says that he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, prince of shalom, Prince of completion, Prince Prince of well-being, Prince of wholeness, that that's who God is. That's who Jesus will be. And when we come to experience Jesus as our king, Jesus as our prince, we have the opportunity to experience his wholeness, his completion, his fullness, no matter what's happening around us, no matter what tragedies we're encountering, no matter what trials we're going through, no matter what grief is in our life or awaits us, no matter what the CAT scan reveals or the MRI shows, no matter what what we experience in this world, we can have peace because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's how Jesus can change everything for you. He wants to take us from fear to peace. And so much of our experience of the peace of Jesus is rooted in outcomes. Outcomes that are assured through what he's done in coming to this earth and living and dying and raising again. So this morning, I just wanna take you on a journey as you and I seek to answer this question. And it's a question, by the way, that you'll have to answer again and again because here's the nature of life in our broken world. We can find ourselves in a place of peace, a place of feeling complete and whole and, and well. And then something happens that shocks us and we drift towards fear or we drift towards stress or we drift towards nervousness. And it's like, okay, let me be reminded of who Jesus is, who God is, his promises, his purposes, and the person, the character of God. And as we look to scripture, we find it all over the place. Uh, We've been journeying through Acts together, and I'll share this with you near the end. Uh, In the book of Acts, by my count, I only find the word peace twice in the entire book of Acts. However, the evidence of God's people living in peace is on page after page after page after page, and we'll look at that in a moment. But in this series, because Luke also shares with us the story of Jesus' life and his gospel, And Luke's account of the birth of Jesus is our favorite Christmas story. We're kind of going back and forth between Luke and Acts, who wrote both of those volumes, to show us who Jesus is, what he has done, and what it means for us in the world. And so we're going to start today, instead of starting in Acts, we're going to start in Luke. Um, Luke references peace on a number of occasions, but two of them align around the birth story of Jesus— Probably the most famous is the passage that Sean referenced earlier. Luke chapter two, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The Greek word for peace that's used by Jesus uh, means exactly the same thing as the Hebrew word shalom, which should not surprise us because what was Jesus' background? Uh, He grew up in a Jewish family. He would have heard about peace and shalom. And so he speaks of peace in the same way. But that's not the passage we're going to focus on. We'll come to it. But I want to focus on is the mention of peace that arrives earlier than Jesus' birth. Probably about three months earlier if Mary carried Jesus for nine months because his cousin John the Baptist was born before that. And when John the Baptist is born, his father Zachariah is overwhelmed with joy in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit leads him to sing this song of praise. And in it... uh, He shares about the peace that we have through Jesus. In fact, that the assurance of the rescue that's found in Jesus results in or brings peace as God keeps with his promises and his purposes and his person, his character. So if you have your Bibles, find Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. That's where we're going to hang out uh, for the bulk of this morning Verse 67 kind of serves as an introductory, helping us know what's happening. His father, Zechariah, it's John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Here are the words that came from Zechariah's mouth. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. The whole subject, the whole purpose of this song is to give praise to God for his rescue and his redeeming love. In fact, if you come from a different church tradition, you may even know that this passage is named historically. Uh, We call it the Benedictus. Uh, In the Latin Vulgate, the Latin translations of the scriptures, the first word is blessed, and the Latin word for blessed is Benedictus. It means to praise. You may hear the the English word benediction in benedictus, a blessing at the end of a worship gathering. So so Zechariah is blessing God. He's praising God through the power of the Spirit. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And he looks at what this redemption and rescue means. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us a phrase that occurs repeatedly in the Old Testament about God's salvation. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. He does this to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. That covenant, that oath that he swore to our father Abraham that encompasses him rescuing us from the hand of our enemies and enables us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. We get to serve him without fear in holiness, living set-apart lives, doing life his way all of our days. And then Zechariah shifts. The Holy Spirit leads him to shift from thinking about the coming one to his son who will prepare the way and he says and you my child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins and why is this knowledge of salvation coming why is the forgiveness coming because of the tender mercy of our god by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven an image, a metaphor associated with Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus as the sun will shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of what? Peace. So if you don't get anything else this morning and you're thinking about the peace that God wants to foster in your life, I want you to see that right here in this prophecy, this song of Zechariah, we have how Jesus changes everything from fear to peace. If you, if you don't get anything else, see that in verse 74, that the rescue that he's bringing enables us to serve him without fear. And instead, verse 79, to walk in peace. Jesus offers us the opportunity to live not in a state of fear, not in the state that's obsessed with outcomes often that are fostered by the brokenness and the fracture caused by sin in our world, but instead focus on the well-being and the completion that we have in him. When we come to understand that our rescue is assured, that we have the assurance of rescue, it brings peace. Just think about this even unrelated to our spiritual journeys. Uh, Think about in your life, when, when, when you're stuck, for example, uh, on the side of the road and you have a flat tire and you're worried what's going to happen and the fear and the stress and the overwhelming stuff starts to come, as soon as you know that the tow truck or the help is on its way, do you, do you fear the same way? Do you have the same struggle? No, because the assurance of rescue brings the peace. Oh, okay, dad's on his way. Okay, um, the tow truck's gonna be here in 20 minutes. When, when, when you've had that medical test done and you know that, oh, listen, I know we found that spot, but but it, but it doesn't appear to be anything bad. When the assurance of rescue is there, it brings peace. The same is true in your and my lives. When, when we have the assurance of our rescue, it should foster peace. When I talk about rescue, uh, in this Stance, And in this Zechariah's song, it's about our rescue from sin, our rescue from the wrong in the world. And that's what Zechariah highlights, is that because Jesus is coming, there is an assurance of rescue that should result in peace, not just for his people and those who would listen, but for all of us. He begins, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has rescued them. The confidence in which Zechariah speaks, he has come to his people. You may say, well, how did he know that the Messiah was coming? Well, if you rewind to verse 39 of chapter one, we see that Mary following her angelic, a pronouncement that she was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. That what was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. That she would call him Jesus. Uh, she travels to her relative Elizabeth's home, Zachariah's wife. And when she arrives, at some point, whether she shared the story first or it, or, or something happened in Elizabeth before Mary shared the story, we know that the baby inside Elizabeth, who's John the Baptist at the time, leaps for joy. And Elizabeth prophesies. She speaks in the Holy Spirit and with the power of the Holy Spirit and says. Why is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So, in Zechariah's home, they knew that the Messiah was coming, that he was just trailing behind by a few months, their own child. And so he celebrates, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. Redemption is coming. The Messiah is here, the rescuing king is here. God is keeping his promises. He references the promises to David through the prophets to Abraham. God is keeping his promises. He references God's purposes. God's purposes have always been to rescue his people. He references the person of God. He showed us mercy, and this becomes even more evident when Zechariah turns his attention to his son. I'll read those verses again, verses 76 to 79. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord, before the one who's coming to redeem and to rescue. You'll prepare the way for people to understand his rescue, his redemption, his salvation, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, the salvation that will come through the forgiveness of sins. And why will it come to his people? Because of the tender mercy of our God. The rescue that's assured is rooted in the person and the character of God. It's who he is. Maybe you remember the refrain that repeats in the Old Testament that that, that I, the Lord, am a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. It's who he is. He's a rescuing God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God who through his mercy and grace calls us to live for his purposes in a new way, in a new life. I think that our English translators, which probably sounds prideful of me to say. I don't mean it that way. He did us a little bit of a disservice in translating uh, verse 78 because they write because of the tender mercy of our God. But that phrase tender mercy is far more powerful than that. The word tender there in the original language is the word splancna, And I've shared this with you before and you maybe remember it. Um, Splanknon is the word that we get compassion from. Splunk now is a Greek word that means bowels. The reason why it's used to describe compassion is when when you are moved deeply to help somebody, when you see the face of the child on TV who's starving, when you see um, you know the face of the dogs who who need food and Sarah McLaughlin singing in the background when when, when you when you see the person standing beside the road and you're moved like you hurt for them you hear about the plight of, of people in this part of the world and something in you is like you ache for them to do something that's feeling something in your bowels and what it's saying is that that, that That God, from the depths of who He is, extends mercy. In fact, a more literal translation of this probably would be um, that from the bowels of His unfailing mercy, God acted. From the depths of who He was, He sent Jesus to extend His mercy to people that we might be rescued. It's, it's who he is. And as Zacharias celebrates the promises and the purposes and the person of God, it results in him being reminded of the rescue. And the assurance of rescue brings peace. You see, so often when we fear things, our fear is rooted in the unknown. So many of our fears are rooted and connected to sin. Maybe not our own sin, but the sin of other people, because we fear things that can hurt us. We fear things that can harm us. We fear things that, that, that are not as we would want them to be. And yet, because of God coming in Christ, he says, yeah, those things may be a part of your experience in this life, but they don't get the final say. Because sin has been conquered in Jesus, the Messiah. And, and death may have a place in this world, but it doesn't have a place in eternity. And, and hardship may have a place in this world, but it doesn't win for eternity. And so it can be well with you. You can be complete and you can be whole. You can be at peace even when there's conflict and even when it's not calm because you recognize the God who was, the God who is, the God who forever will be. You recognize the promises and the purposes and the person, the character of God that he does not change. And when we come to experience that, it is like his light shines into our dark places and he guides us again and again and again into peace. So I go back to the question from the beginning. Am I living in a state of peace? Or am I fearful, nervous, and stressed? In your honesty, if you're currently living in a place of fear or stress or nervousness, I'd encourage you, To look to the God who loves you so much that he gave his one and only son for you. And that the things that you fear and the things that stress you out, as real as they are, know that no matter what happens, no matter what those outcomes are, that that you can be assured of your rescue in Jesus and that should bring you peace. I know for me, the reason why it's been a question that I have wrestled with because I find myself... I'm prone, I have found, to be more a person who worries. And so I have to continually look at what I don't understand and outcomes that don't seem to be favorable and say, okay, no matter what, my God is still on the throne and my God is still working and my God is still going to work. And so that brings a peace and it brings me back from that place of fear and stress and nervousness. It's the very same thing I go through on an airplane. Just get really practical. I tend to be the person who doesn't like to fly. Anybody else like me that doesn't really care to fly? You'd rather just drive? Yeah, I keep my feet on the ground. So I have to do this whole self-talk thing when I get on a plane. And, and Audrey has witnessed it. it, is like she knows that no matter how great the trip is going to be and the days that lead up to me flying, I start to feel that stress kind of build and I have to fight those battles with fear. And there comes this moment when I'm waiting in the airport and I'm waiting to get on the plane and I just have this, I usually have my journal out, and I'm praying in my journal uh, and I'm like, okay, God, here's the deal. You're still on the throne. And so no matter what happens to me, I am rescued by you. I am loved by you. And it gives me that courage and it gives me that peace. And I no longer fear what's gonna happen on the airplane. Now, sometimes when we're on the airplane, uh, usually going over the Atlantic and the thing starts bouncing up and down, guess what I do? I get out that prayer journal again. I remind myself that God, you are still on the throne. This doesn't have the final say. This isn't the final part of my story. And I have that sense of completion and wholeness and well-being. It's that peace that Jesus the Prince of Peace brings. It's that peace that Paul writes about that passes all understanding. It's that peace that is only available because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. There's one of my favorite Christmas passages is Colossians chapter one, specifically verses 17 uh, uh, through about 19 and it talks about how, how he was in existence before the world and all things were created through him. And, and I love the power of what it represents about Jesus and his place in uh, working alongside God and being a part of God. Um, but in, in, Ch- in Colossians 1 verse 20, it tells us that we have peace through his blood, Jesus' blood shed on the cross. We find wholeness, we find completion only in who Jesus is and what he's done. And that brings me to the more famous words about peace. Because in Luke chapter two, when the angelic host declares, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels don't declare, uh, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to every human being. It's peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. That's an expression that has to do with those who are God's elect, those who have a relationship with God. His peace on earth is available to every human being, but not every human being will experience it. Not every human being will experience the fullness and the wholeness and the wellness and the completion of God. That's only experienced by those who come to see that the God of all creation, God of all glory created them, that he created them in his image, And that image has been tarnished by our own sin and disobedience. And that that sin, that rebellion, that disobedience stands in the way of us being whole. But it's only through his son Jesus who came and died and rose again that as we believe and trust and align our lives around him, that we're made complete again. And when we surrender our lives to him, when we believe in the name of Jesus and we are saved and we are rescued, We can experience peace on earth because we know that God's favor rests upon us. If you're looking for peace and your definition is only the absence of conflict and the presence of calm, you will not find it. But if you're looking for peace and wholeness and completion, you will if you look to Jesus. He changes everything, He's prepared to change everything. We have the assurance of rescue and that brings and that fosters peace. I can't help but think about Zechariah's song and also think about the challenge not just to respond to God's rescue and experience this peace but the challenge for each of us to be people of peace. John the Baptist gets to go and proclaim and prepare the way. And I can't help but wonder this Advent season and in the months and years ahead that God doesn't want to use those of us who follow him to prepare the way for others. That we might be people of peace and as people see us live in the sense of wholeness and completion, even when things around us seem to be in chaos, that God won't use that to shine his light into someone else's life and help them walk in peace. If you're living in chaos as a follower of Jesus right now, you need to run back to his rescuing arms and be reminded of what he's done for you, because it'll be hard for you to lead somebody else to peace if you're not experiencing it yourself. One of the things I love about the book of Acts is that although the word peace only occurs, again, by my count twice, perhaps I missed one or two, um, but as the evidence of These men and women who live in this sense of completion and wholeness that is theirs because of Jesus Christ. I can't help but move through the pages of Acts and think about Peter and John when they're thrown in prison in Acts chapter four and and what are they noted for? Tom shared these words a few weeks ago when he preached that um, they could tell that these were ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. There was a boldness, there was a courage. How, How can you be at peace when you're being persecuted and when you're suffering, but not for Jesus. And yet we see Peter and John be complete and whole as they navigate difficult circumstances we see Stephen, when he preaches that sermon in Acts chapter 7, he is stoned at the end of it, and he lifts his eyes to heaven, and he's received by the Father. We, we, we look to Peter in, in Acts chapter 12, he's imprisoned again. We look to Paul, who is flogged and beaten and thrown into jail, and yet he tells us things like this. So, so keep in mind, Acts chapter 16 tells us that um, Paul and Silas were flogged and beaten and put in chains in, in Philippi. They're singing hymns to God even as they bleed and scab over. And the jail is shaken and they're freed, but they refuse to run and instead share the hope of Jesus with the jailer and his family. And Paul will write a letter to the Philippians who know that story and say that whether he is living in plenty or in want, whether he is well-fed or hungry, he has learned the secret of being content, of being whole, of being well. And what was that secret? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through who? Through Jesus, through Christ who strengthens me. The witness of the early followers of Jesus in Acts, witness to the peace that the Prince of Peace brings. And oh that the same might be said of us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that through your power and your might and through your Son, you have changed everything. That where fear and stress and nervousness and chaos threaten and beat upon our doors, that you offer us peace, peace through your Son. And God, I pray. Uh, For those who will watch this online or listen to it through a podcast, those who are here right now who may not know your peace, that they would choose to turn to you and experience the assurance of your rescue in Jesus and turn to you. And as they turn to you, may they realize your promises and your purposes and come to know your person, your character, and may peace overwhelm. May you give them the courage to Reach out to someone who's following you to ask how they can follow you. And I pray for those of us that claim to be your people and your disciples, uh, that you would foster peace in us as we rest in your rescue and the assurance it brings. And God, as we live these lives that have this sense of completion and wholeness, even in a world that brings discouragement and disease and difficulty, uh, that we might shine your light, that others might find your peace. We thank you, Father. And it's in your name, the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.